we're, we're going to look a few weeks into the way Jesus interacted with people. And this text, I don't know when you were reading it, it should have made you cringe a bit. Because Jesus is this Savior, this Messiah who loves people, who, who reaches the lost. Who, he never ignores people. He's there. And just the wording he uses, like, oh, would you help me? And he says, I can't give bread. It's meant for children, not dogs. In current era with Twitter, Twitter and Facebook, if somebody ever quoted Jesus and said, Jesus called a lady a dog, there would be an uproar and protest, and they would say, protest churches. And so with 21st century mind, this text is cringeworthy. It's awkward. And I wanted to look into each one of those and really see what is going on and that there is good news. So let's go into it. The first awkward moment, verse 21, it says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So we're like, where is Tyre and Sidon? This is the first time and the only time that Jesus ever walked outside of Jewish territory in the four Gospels. It was stunning. He never left Galilee. He never went to a foreign nation ever other than this one time. So why did he go there? And most commentators suggest he was going there because he was overwhelmed by the crowds. The time of the cross was coming, and he wanted to take a little retreat, a respite with his disciples. So have you ever been on a vacation, and things are going great, and you get interrupted by work? That happens all the time. It happens, maybe you're like, and your wife or husband's like, I told you to turn the phone off, Right? And so Jesus is not there to do ministry in Tyre and Sidon, but then he gets interrupted by this woman, verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Uh, what's a word that comes to your mind as you picture this woman? What's, just adjectives. Just call it out. Crazy, urgent, desperate. And so you, you could immediately feel the energy. Jesus is walking, what a beautiful place. And a lady comes, oh Lord, son of David. And so she's a Canaanite, and she calls him son of David. Now, when you call somebody a title, a specific title, it means a lot. So how many of you children call your dad your majesty? <laughs> Fathers, we need to start getting, getting our kids straight. How many, of you, how many of you call your teacher your highness? Right, right, the title implies so much more. To call Jesus son of David as a Canaanite, you have to go back into history. Canaan and Israel hated each other. Canaan was were driven out because God told Joshua, go in there, this is the promised land. And for history, they hated each other. They hated the Jews, and Israel was led to other gods. And this woman comes and calls Jesus son of David, the greatest king Israel ever had. This woman wasn't just desperate. She was fully surrendered to Jesus and who he is. 
And that's, that should be a little perk in us to say, when I go to Jesus, I can't go with any reservation. It is open heart, heart laid out, vulnerable, and she came to him desperate. She acknowledges that he's a political leader and that he is a messianic leader. So this moment, uh, the disciples are kind of like me. I think it's kind of like most of us. We're like, awkward. So they actually literally say to, say to Jesus, Give her what she wants and send her away. And I think we live in a society where when we face issues, millennials get a bad rep for this, but all generations do it. We just want the problem to go away. Just give her what she wants. Get her out of here. And instead of looking at the issue, looking at the people, we just want problems to go away. I wish they would leave. Or I'm just going to leave. And Jesus does neither. He leans into it. He leans into the burden, and he's engaging her, but in a very strange way. So from the perspective of the woman, we have to look at this woman and realize, when was the last time you were so desperate for God alone that you just cried at his feet? I'm asking that seriously. When was the last time you just fell on your knees and cried to Jesus for desperation. Because here's my fear, and I'm just going to speak for me. We have the money. We have the resources. We have our cunning. And a lot of us will probably say, I could fix my way out of this. So we pray to God, but we don't have this desperate need for God. I, well, I got the money, so I feel safe enough. There is this weird self-sufficiency, and I want to argue it keeps us from being desperate and having faith and dependence on God. This woman, contrast, had nothing. Why can't her Canaan gods help her? Because Canaan gods were not real. They don't exist. They couldn't help her. There was one true God, and she knew that Jesus was her only hope. And so I, recently I was talking to someone and I said, hey, how are you doing spiritually? And it was an honest response. And the response was, well, you know how it is. When life is hard, I get closer with God. Well, when life is great and I'm making money and things are going well, yeah, I get, it's a struggle to go with God. And friends, I think this is why we need to have this awareness that God is always there for us in our low points, but God wants so much more for us than to seek him out only at those low points. And the church said? And so this woman is giving us a glimpse of, gosh, what would it look like to have this desperate hope, faith, and dependence on Christ 24-7? So second awkward part. So Jesus looks at this woman, he's just staring at her, and his response, what does Jesus do? How does Jesus respond to someone who needs his help? Pastor Jason, can you help me? And I'm like, oh, what do you need? All of you would say, what do you need? Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. He gave her silence. This is the only time I found in the Gospels, other than one other time where Jesus remained silent at a question. Do you know when the other time was? Yeah. 
when he was being assaulted and under trial by the religious leaders, Matthew says, and he remained silent. Jesus usually asks a question. When you ask him a question, he responds with a question or he intervenes, but he's never silent often. And so there's something going on here. Verse 24, he opens his mouth finally and says this, I was only sent, sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's awkward because we know he came to save the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What do you mean you only came for Israel? And what Jesus is trying to communicate in this moment was in Jeremiah chapter 50, God uses that phrase, the lost sheep of Israel. God says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. And what Jesus is trying to say to this woman is, he, she doesn't know it. We don't even know it. I'm going to save the whole world, but my first priority is to restore the house of Israel, their lost sheep. So Jesus uses this. And as he realizes he's communicating to us the pathway to the cross and the salvation for you and me and the restoration of the world goes through Israel, goes through out of Israel. And so he was not in Tyre and Sidon to minister to Gentiles. He was eventually going to save the whole world, but it was through focusing on Israel first. So Gentiles are not less important but I love how Jesus has a priority. He keeps his mission in check. Um, raise your hand if you think you're really good at priorities. Why are you laughing? I, I, I want at least half of the people. Uh, you guys are okay? As you get older, you get, I think you get a little bit better. Young, young people, how are you guys with priorities? <laughs> there can be this. And it's important that Jesus doesn't do mushy ministry. Wherever he goes, what do you need? What do you need? He has this discipline because he could do literally hundreds of thousands of healings if he wanted to. But he has his focus and priority. So he did not answer her. He says, I need to take care of the lost sheep of Israel first. And through them, I'm going to bless the world, which sounds familiar. Genesis chapter 12, 3, through Abram, I'm going to bless all the families of the world through you. So the takeaway is this. Have you ever experienced praying to God and God doesn't give you an answer? And in that moment, if I was the woman, I would say, say something. And maybe we do that. We're praying to God and he doesn't answer. Not a zip. Lord, my, my parents need you. No answer. And so a wise person said to me, wise, faithful man of God said, God may be silent, but he is never absent. Can we say that together? God may be silent, but he is never absent. So Jesus wasn't giving our silent treatment. His silence was communicating something. There's something he senses in her, something he knows. And we have to trust that when God is silent and he doesn't answer you right away, in a culture where, I know teens do this, you text your friend, hello, how's it going? They don't respond for the next five seconds, and you, they think the world is falling apart. <laughs> and so this is Jesus being intentional. And in those moments of silence, what do you do? This woman shows us. 
What do you do when Jesus doesn't answer you right away? You cling to him and you won't let him go. Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. You know what I love about God? He will never say, you're nagging me too much. God will never say, I'm fed up. Stop asking me those questions. I'm a dad. I can do that because I'm a finite, imperfect human being. Okay, you've asked 50 times. You need to go away. But God never gets tired of his children clinging to him for hope and help. Can you get that into your head? Like, we can pray to God because God doesn't tire from hearing us. And so, this is not troublesome for Jesus. There is something else going on. And it leads us to the most awkward moment. So his response is, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Woo! Man, if I ever said that to one of our women in our church, Pastor Jason, can you help me? And I say, I'm going to first take care of the children, not the dogs. Oh, man. The presbytery, the police, uh, protests. This church has a misogynistic pastor. Calls women dogs. And so we read it in the 21st century as that. But there's a lot more. There's, it's not, thankfully, a derogatory term. What's true is in Palestine, they did call people they didn't like dogs. One of the greatest insults you could give in Palestine was, you dog. The Greek word is kaun. It means like the street mangy mutt. Remember that movie, Lady and the Tramp? Like the whole point of that was this elegant lady likes this tramp. And so that's the word for dog. So in church, don't use that for one another. And so, but, but the tone matters too, and the word matters. The actual word that Jesus uses here for dog is actually not kaun. Ready? It's kunaria. You know what kunaria is? It's a little, 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 cute little puppy dog. And so what he's saying is, you know when you say to your grandchildren or your family members, oh, that little rascal, are you insulting them? Are you trying to hurt their feelings? When you say that little rascal, the, it's, it's, a, it's a word of endearment. And what Jesus is using here is, I'm going to focus on Israel first. That's why I'm here. I can't give this time to others. Israel has to come first. And so he's using the word canary, a little puppy, cute little dog. That you could say to each other. And I think, what do we call first love in high school or middle school? You call it what kind of love? A puppy love. Like, oh, puppy love. And so calling someone a puppy is different from calling them a mangy mutt. And you hear the tone. And what Jesus is saying here is, there is this, he's being affectionate. He's bantering with her. And how do we know she wasn't insulted? She uses that same word back. Yes, but even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This isn't a street dog. This is a house pet. It's a family. And so Jesus is making this connection with her. So she responds, verse 26, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And there's 
two incredible things about her response, and this is what amazed Jesus. You ready for this? So first, she's acknowledging Jesus. You are here for the house of Israel first. You are here to minister to the Jews first. Yes, the children do get the bread first. And I love that because in our society, what do, we, what do children say? It's not fair. How come she gets two Twinkies? I only get one Twinkie. What about this fair? And what she doesn't say is, wait a minute. Why does Israel get special treatment? She doesn't say that. She says, yes, ma'am. The children do get the master's food first. She doesn't complain about, what about me and my daughter? And I think that's a side of her humility as well. She doesn't come first. She recognizes others. There is this humility in her to say, yes, Jesus, I see your priority. I know and understand what your role is. But could we get the scraps? And so the second part she's really saying is, and after you take care of Israel, you have enough power and bread left to bless everyone else. That's where her faith comes in. So let me put it this way. When some humans, yesterday uh, I took my son and his two friends to baseball, and they're having a game today, so they're like, hey, can you help us with hitting? So I did. I felt like I was 20, but my body says, you're way beyond 20. <laughs> and I was like, pitching it hard. I was like, oh yeah, you're gonna see 55, 60 miles per hour. And they were like, oh. they were hitting. And I was having a good time. And then all of a sudden, it's bright daytime and I see stars. And I'm like, my feet are getting a little weak. <laughs> and the next kid is batting and I was just like, hold on, I need to rest. And then I realized I need to work out again. But I realized, man, I'm getting old. And my wife always says to me, honey, you're not 25 anymore. <laughs> and I realized, humans, we, when we help, when we serve, we run out of power. That's why parents get stressed out, right? I've had it. I need to get out of this house. What God, with God, with Jesus being God, she saw something in Jesus that we need to recognize. God has infinite power to bless his people, but not just only his people. What she was saying was, I see you have bread for them. You have power to save them, but you are God. You have enough power even then for us. So let me read a commentary from InterVarsities. Now she refuses to dispute that Jesus' mission is to Israel first and that her status is secondary to that of the Israelites. Nevertheless, she believes Jesus will have more than enough power left over from what Israel does not need or want. Jesus responds to such striking faith. Jesus has enough bread for Israel. But the following narrative reinforces that plenty of scraps remain over for others. I wonder if some of us think, oh, God wouldn't take care of me. There's too many other important people in the world. One of my things that breaks my heart 
when I call elderly people in our church, I'm like, how are you doing? They always say, almost always, oh, pastor, there's so many more people in need and you're busy. You should call them. Don't call me. And I'm like, no, I'd rather call you. <laughs> I like you. No. And so we have this mentality that God, gosh, you know, you have so much on your mind. Go to them. And we have to say here, God is God. God has the power to bless and save all people. And so Jesus' response is awesome. Oh, woman, great is your faith. By the way, you know where the word mega comes from? Yo, mega. That was mega. It's a Greek word for great. Great is your faith. Mega is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And so the way I want to wrap it up is a few questions for us. Because I think we're not nearly as strong in our faith as we think we are. I think we are like the fans of Blondin. We're like, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. But when God would ever say, would you step into this wheelbarrow and trust me? We say, oh, heck no. No way. My life is going too well. I don't want you to mess it up. Or... I don't know if you could really save me. And so this text is really challenging each of us. Don't just say you believe. What does it look like to act out and put yourself in the hands of God in scary, out-of-the-box comfort zone, security way, where you could offer your troubles, your children, your entire life financial situation and say, God, take over. This is real faith. Going to church actually is easy. Wake up, 8 o'clock, take a shower, eat breakfast, come to church. And we struggle with that sometimes, but that's easy. Real faith is, how are you going to live this out in your school, in your community? Do you believe Jesus can be moved by your great faith? I hope so. Because Jesus does get moved by faith. So a few questions. I think that we should ask ourselves and you could discuss in life group, do I have true humility like this lady? If I were to ask how many of us have true humility, I think we need to start asking ourselves that question first. Do I have this true humility to be weak before Jesus? Second, do I have real confidence in Jesus, real faith? It's great to sing songs when the music is great. It's great to sing the hymns we like. But real faith comes in when you have confidence in Jesus in the darkest moments of your life. And do I have the perspective that Jesus does not exist to bless just me and my household, but his very nature is to bless the whole world through us? This is a call for us as a church. As we look at a Canaanite Gentile woman, what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith are you writing on, really? Do you fall at the feet of Jesus? What is the faith that you're connecting all of your foundation on? And what is the faith that will move Jesus' heart to engage you because he loves you? Let's pray.
God, we dedicate just this thought that in Southern California, it is great to go to church, to go to chapel, to go to Bible studies. And thank you for that striking difference between having this belief versus having faith. And in a world where there's so many fears and storms or just uncertainties, you give us opportunities to practice this faith by trusting in you. And so rather than trying to fix it with our own intelligence or money or our, or our ability to solve the problems, help us to be weak that you may be strong. Help us to be weak so that, Jesus, you are the reason that miracles happen, that only through you what's impossible can only be done. And help us to be a church that doesn't have it together because we're smart and wise and good stewards, but because we have faith in a God who can do miracles. Lord, poke our hearts. May our faith in you grow. Give us that faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.